Welcome to Grain on the Brain by the Prairie Organic Grain Initiative. We're working to create resiliency and stability in the prairie organic grain sector. Tune in each month as we're joined by an industry expert and farmer to discuss important issues in organic grain farming. Check out our website at pivotandgrow.com and see what organic grain production can do for you. We bring the resources, tools, and expertise you need to get growing. So I'm Scott Beaton. I farm just close to Winnipeg between Rosser and Stonewall area. It's about a 400-acre certified organic farm, and I'm fairly new to the scene. So actually, this will be my first year that all my acres are uh, converted to organic. I've been producing for about three years now since the first field transitioned over. I'd be interested to hear what your numbers are these days, Ian. I know I looked you up not too long ago, and I think the, the numbers that I saw weren't the ones that I think are right. So to uh, you run through your operation a little bit. Yeah, well, this is Ian Cushion. Uh, I farm with my wife and uh, kids over at... Oxbow, Saskatchewan, in the southeast corner in the black soil zone. We have about over 4,000 cultivated acres at this point. We grow primarily wheat, hemp, flax, oats, peas and lentils, and alfalfa seed are our primary crops. We've been certified organic since 1989 and have transitioned in quite a few new acres in the last 10 or 15 years. And it's uh, been an interesting experience to try and to keep going this long. Very good. And uh, now we've got with us Scott Shields from Grain Millers. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do there, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I've been with Grain Millers a little over five years. I've been in the grain industry for 26 now as a grain buyer and uh, in the marketing end of things. Uh, what I do here for Grain Millers has been my really my first foray into the organic side. Everything else I had done up till now was uh, was primarily conventional agriculture and now as of December, I'm the procurement manager, not just the grain buyer anymore for grain millers. I've moved up as my boss uh, did the same. So that's about the background I've got in the in the organics. So uh, like all of you, there's a lot of learning to do. And uh, it's what I enjoy most about the organic side of this business is the learning and the sharing and, and part of why I've always been very willing to volunteer my time to whatever's going on, whether it be field days or or conferences or, or podcasts or committees or whatever. I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity with a really bright future. Right on. Well, thanks very much. This podcast theme is uh, Organic Green Marketing 101, and we wanted to get to a few of the issues that are maybe a little bit more particular with marketing organic grains and how that differs from the challenges that our neighbors face marketing their conventional production. So I guess the start with one of the questions was, uh, well, what do you need to know about the crop that you're trying to market? And probably either one of you can answer this, but Ian, if you want to start maybe to let us know some of the things that are that are a little bit different in marketing organic grains. Well, I think the m- most important thing to, to know is what the market's looking for. If you're a small-scale farmer and you don't have a lot of acres and you're going to grow one or two crops and you want to make a good management decisions, it's probably important to grow crops that are in fairly high demand so you're not stuck carrying inventory. So one of the things I tell 
new organic farmers is, you know, there's a lot of companies out there marketing and buying and selling and trading organic grains now. So a lot of times you really just need to spend some time on the phone or get to trade shows and find out what the market's looking for, find out what quality grain particular buyers are looking for, and then design a system, make a plan to try and get to the type of quality that the customer's looking for. So it does take more work. And a lot of the companies trading organic grains, they're not as high profile. They may be smaller companies that do specific things. And the good thing is a lot of companies have come into marketing organic grains. So I think it's much easier now to find a market than it was 10 or 20 years ago for just about anything that you grow. But you do need to pay attention to what's going on in the marketplace. You do need to do some price discovery and you do need to know what customers are typically looking for and You want to plan your farming operations to try and deliver those particular things that customers are looking for. I'll agree with Ian on that. It is super imperative, more so for the organic grower in my mind, that you do know what the demand is out there. We've seen guys coming in even through transition and trying to chase after the the crazy high-priced markets that are are those small niche markets like the mustard, lentils, those kind of things, and growing something that you might have to sit on for a couple of years to get into those markets is never a great idea, and opportunities will continue to come along, but you you need the cash flow, you need to be able to market stuff. The other thing is to really know what the quality is of the grain that you have. You're growing oats and you're trying to hit the milling market. Know that the varieties you're growing are accepted by the millers. Know what varieties are better in your area maybe than certain other areas. We find too often that the the next big thing, whether it be a wheat variety or an oat variety or a barley variety, doesn't always work on your farm. You know, what works at Ian's place down in Oxbow may not work around Yorkton. So really be digging into that. And, and a lot of times the buyer that you're dealing with or the customers that you're looking to sell to can be a lot of help with that as well. There's a vast amount of information available online, different organic bodies. You can get the names and numbers of all the different buyers of all the different commodities. There's no secrets out there. If somebody asks me where they can market something and it's something that Grain Millers doesn't market, I'll give them names and numbers, You know, trying to help farmers out. It's a smaller community, and it seems everybody wants to help each other out a lot more, uh, in my mind. So, so ask, ask tons of questions. That's that's key for me. They're all good points. I think something that I've struggled with, I guess, haven't had too hard of a time in growing a crop, but uh, getting rid of it and, like you say, chasing high market crop is maybe not the best route when you gotta be sure that you're growing something that somebody's gonna want and you're gonna be able to get rid of it at the end of the year, hopefully. Our marketing resources help you market your operation and get social by connecting with fellow farmers and industry members to help you stay on the pulse of the market. Our business-to-business directory lists everything from farmers and seed cleaners to certifiers and associations across Western Canada. Get listed today. Visit pivotandgrow.com and check out our marketing resources. One of the other questions that I had for you, Scott, some of the crops that grain millers buy, you have a, a handful of common problems that make it hard for you to buy and sell crops. For us, so I mean, we don't do a ton of the buying and selling, so we're, a, we're an end user, we're a miller. It's quality all the time. We've generally pretty wide specs on oats, so in a normal year there's not a lot of oats that we can't 
mill. Now we might have a little discount for higher wheat content or we might have a low discount for lower test weight or, or what have you, but generally oats aren't the worst one. For the wheat, of course, it's the same old. It's falling number. Here in Yorkton, we only mill oats. Our U.S. facilities do oats and as well as wheat, barley, some rye, triticale, those kind of crops. So when we're shipping wheat down there or, or buy, trying to buy from a farmer up here, it's same old. It's proteins it, on red spring wheat. It's falling numbers. Things that aren't traditionally a grading factor here if you're selling to the elevator system on the conventional side. They're looking for a different set of things than we are. So it's those kind of problems. You know, I spoke in Brandon a couple of years ago at Ag Days about grain quality, knowing your quality, keeping your grain in condition in the bins. And a lot of that is really important stuff too. We'll see grain trying to be delivered here in the next few months that's been in, maybe went in the bin a bit tough and wasn't kept in condition. That stuff's difficult to deal with as it, as it comes in if it happens to have gotten a little bit heated or gotten some bugs in it. Those kind of things with any grain a guy's got to be really careful of on the farm. Other than that, I mean, the biggest issue we have with marketing some of these other grains is consistency in supply versus increasing demand. We're always trying to build markets for peas or lentils or some of these other specialty crops. That's one thing that's a challenge is making sure that we're going to be able to have that consistency of supply year after year. It's happened you know, numerous times where we've had one of the food companies come to us, they're looking for a product. We go out, we find it because guys have grown it that year. They put their product to the research department, to the store shelf, and uh, it takes off. In the next year, we can't find the same amount of that quality of more so the specialty grains. So, you know, it's diversity on the farms is changing and, and everyone's trying to grow something a, a little bit crazier, usually in smaller quantities, which is good, but it does pose a challenge as far as the marketing goes for us as a food company. Yeah, I wondered, Ian, if you could add to that, yeah, some of the smaller smaller market you'd mentioned, hemp is something that you guys have grown in the past and I think continue to do, to dabble in. Any, any thoughts on ways to avoid getting caught with some of those crops? Well, I think with a crop like hemp, and we've just seen a period of phenomenal growth in the acres and the pricing on hemp. There was a lot of new new uh, growers came in in the last couple of years uh, and we're starting to see a bit of a pullback as imports. Uh, we're, we're competing more with imports from not necessarily North America but we're competing with Chinese hemp and we're competing with Eastern European hemp seed and there's a bit of a pullback occurring in the prices and uh, demand. So I think it's really important on a crop like hemp to be prepared to grow it under a contract and not to grow it on speculation that you're going to find a, a market after the fact. And that would probably apply to a lot of other crops as well. As I mentioned earlier on, if you're looking at a lower volume crop like mustard or hemp or any of the special crops that can go into oversupply situations quite easily, then it's important probably if you need to guarantee cash flow that you've got you've got some protection with a contract at least. One of the things that can happen in a situation with contracting is, and we saw this prior to the 2008-2009 recession, is that some companies contracted a fair amount of wheat at a very high price and then the market went really south and a lot of companies had to walk away from their contract. So when you are contracting, it's important to look at companies and, and try and get an estimation of how secure are they going to be in the case of a situation that's beyond their control. 
Are they still going to honor the contracts? Do they have the financial wherewithal to take some losses on the organic side and maybe cover them on the conventional side? Is it a, is it a bigger company or is it strictly an organic company that may, may be in trouble if suddenly the organic market runs into a lot of headwinds? Those are some of the, some of the questions that you kind of have to ask yourself. The thing I tell farmers is pay attention to what's going on. Talk to experienced organic farmers, talk to experienced traders, and, and get a feel for, ask their advice. What should I do? What should I grow? What are sure things in my neighborhood? Which are the most reliable companies to deal with? Which are the most easy companies to deal with? Because over time, you get to know people who are easy to deal with, and this would be on both the, on the farmer side and the, and the buyer side, who are are good at what they do and they're fair and they're they're not out to make your life uh, more difficult so it's important to try and get some feedback on on who you deal with and make sure that you you're dealing with somebody that you can trust because there there are problems at times my my side I've got some examples of things that I did wrong with customers and put myself into situations that fortunately turned out okay but caused problems it's important to be working with the right people in order to work out those problems and to build a level of trust, a level of loyalty, so that you can work through issues when they do arise. Deciding on a price at which point you uh, are comfortable starting to market grain, so I'm not sure how your strategy works. If you're the kind of guy that starts marketing 25% when the price is, is at a level that is good and then kind of sells a little bit more throughout the year, or how do you decide what the number is that you feel is well, I think that is one strategy I use on some crops because it's really difficult to know. For example, the wheat market this year, we came out of a softer period in the wheat market in the last year or so where there was a big crop in 2016, lots of adequate supplies, the mills in North America seemed covered, the demand in Europe been replaced to a certain degree. There's only small markets in other parts of the world for Canadian organic wheat, and it looked as though coming into 2017 that prices might not be that exciting. As it turned out, the dry weather and the reduced acres, reduced production that occurred in 2017 throughout the spring wheat growing areas of Canada and the northern United States, I think driven increased prices, certainly made the wheat market more attractive and more dynamic this year. But it's always hard to predict what will happen. My best guess at this point is that the wheat market's going to be strong right through till new crop. But we also have a president of the United States who, if he gets out of the bed on the wrong day, he may decide he'll listen to the wheat growers or someone in the United States who says we need a tariff on imports of Canadian wheat because they're undercutting our market or who knows. I mean, those things are really unpredictable. So if I was telling a producer or suggesting what a producer might do, I I would suggest don't try and guess what the future is going to bring. Sell some now. Prices are very good. And then maybe sell a third after harvest and a third in the winter and then maybe hold on to a third or it could be done in quarters over the course of the year. The one thing we know about wheat is it's consumed on an annual basis so not all our wheat can go into the market all at once. It has to be rationed into the market as well. It's possible producers would also contract some in the spring. Looking in hindsight, those contract prices may not be very attractive considering the, the spot market prices now, but again, who knows? These are unpredictable things. So, And wheat may be a very different thing than 
hemp, for example, or lentils or something that tends to be very dynamic and change rapidly. And there are a lot of crops on our farm, like lentils and peas to a certain extent. There's quite a bit of demand, been a lot of interest in them, been a lot of calls about them, but we just can't grow them. We're struggling to get the production. So, and I think that would be typical in most years that a lot of these higher value crops are much more difficult to grow. Typically, you really have to focus on production and making sure you've got a home for them, but it's not often that we can grow enough lentils for the marketplace, at least in the last few years. We post grain prices monthly and create price charts to display market trends over time. Check them out at pivotandgrow.com under the Resources tab. Are those about in line with some of the prices that you guys are seeing? Yeah, our oat bid right now is six bucks. It, traditionally, that has been the pricing the bulk of the time. We've seen wild swings quite a bit north and south of that, uh, but we generally are hanging right around that $6. Because it's a lower price, it doesn't swing as crazy as wheat, like Ian was talking about. If your protein's high enough, 20 22 bucks a bushel right now is out there on spring wheat. And new crop pricing, at least the indications we've been hearing, is probably more in the mid-teens which is still not a bad price for wheat, but it doesn't look very good when you're seeing old crop pricing as high as it is. The barley market, it's been a crazy one this year, mostly because we've seen an abnormally good quality crop. Quality-wise, generally we see probably three-quarters of what we buy for milling barley pass the grade, and then we're back to market hunting for that other quarter that we need. Same with malt barley. You know, it's probably half to three-quarters that makes it, and then they got to go out to market and buy that. Anything that was on contract, it pretty much passed this year, and so it's it's really left us with a lack of a milling market and a lack of a malt barley market to help support the feed market to keep the price up. So pricing on the feed side's been sliding a little bit it's in that 650 to 750 range right now. So yeah, that price is maybe a little high, but that's taking into account the eight to nine dollar milling and the 11, 12, 13 dollar malt. Corn, I couldn't comment on. We do some organic corn business in the U.S., but we don't do any of it up here, unfortunately. That may come. We have heard of guys southern Manitoba that are doing some organic corn um, and, and possibly even in southern Saskatchewan. So that uh, that will be something that we'll see a little bit more of maybe here in our office. But uh, as of right now, we haven't. Some other ones, I guess, to note. We do a lot of business in flax. We've got a flax facility in Saskatoon. And... It seems to be a good fit for a lot of organic producers, which is strange because it's not a super competitive crop. So weed control can be an issue, but it's been doing very well, you know, pricing anywhere from 35 to a little over 40 bucks a bushel in the last few years and some pretty decent yields out there. So that's another one that we've seen. There's good demand for the, the baking industry is, is really loving flax. The health food industry really loves it. So it's another good one for farmers to look at growing, especially maybe on a plow down year when they've got good weed control from whatever they had in the year before. I think in talking to a number of processors, they often have a hard time with producers dealing crops like a commodity rather than like a food product, and that, that seems to come up over and over again when talking about quality is there's a bunch of other factors that come into play, and, and Ian, you talked about it a little bit with the differences between delivering to, to some of these buyers rather than delivering to a neighbor or an elevator. Uh, it's something that you got to give a little bit of consideration to. I wondered if you had an anecdote about a time that something didn't go quite right that you'd like to share, either of you. Well, 
many, many years ago when I was organic in the early 90s. I remember shipping a load of Durham into the U.S. through a trading company based out of Saskatchewan, and I had some rusty grain beetles in this bin of Durham. And so we decided we would clean it, thinking that cleaning would actually solve the problem. I think it would would have been shipped in the spring after the period where we could have frozen it. It's it's a long time ago now, but we ended up getting in a mobile cleaner to come in and clean the Durham, and then it was shipped on rail car. And common sense would have told you that any research now, you would say, no, you can never rely on cleaning. You might get away with using a grain vac, which is supposed to be pretty close to 100% effective on getting rid of rusty grain beetles, but cleaning's not good enough. There was still probably eggs in the shipment and probably hatched a new round of rusty grain beetles in the customer discovered this at the mill and he basically had to seal the rail car and pump it full of carbon dioxide to uh, smother all the rusty grain beetle. We were lucky that he was able to do that and willing to do that. He actually made the trip down to the mill and I think it wasn't that far away into the U.S. and took on the job of trying to seal a rail car and basically cut off all the oxygen and supplies so those rusty grain beetles wouldn't be an issue. So, I mean, most farmers realize the risk there, but those are one of those learning experiences that you shouldn't put yourself through. Fortunately, the customer, he wasn't too upset about it. I mean, that can happen fairly easily, as Scott has mentioned. You know, farmers, if you're not paying attention to your bins, you can have some problems. I always make it a point of making sure when I'm shipping, especially in the spring, and we typically in the winter run most of our bins. We run a fan on it to kill any rusty grain beetles during the really cold weather. But in the spring, if you haven't run a fan, and even if you have, you should be getting up on top of the bin and having a look because typically snow will blow in to bins, normal convection as the bins warm up from the winter temperatures to the spring and summer temperatures moisture moves around and collects at the top of the cone on a lot of bins if they're not leveled. And it's important to make sure most times you'll find grain beetles at the top of a bin. And so if you probe a sample off the top of the cone and take it into your shop and warm it up, put it through some hand screens, you'll quickly discover whether there's any serious amount of wildlife in there. And that's, I think, really, really important thing to do. It just saves a lot of hassle. So that was probably one of the best <laughs> learning experiences of my life was to not think that you can deal with rusty grain beetles without some fairly serious action. Yeah, and it is something that over the last couple of years especially, as the industry is changing a little bit, we have, when I'm speaking at public things, when I'm talking about our company and just what the farmers are doing in general, you touched on it, Scott, is you are not growing grain. You are not growing a commodity. You are growing food, especially in the organic industry. The conventional market has, if you're growing wheat, you've got different grades and, and all that kind of stuff. You can market. You'll find an elevator that'll take your wheat and give you a two or a three or whatever it needs to be so that you can make some money doing it. And we don't. I mean, it's milling or it's feed. And even if it's feed, it's ending up in the food market because we're feeding it to cattle, we're feeding it to chickens, we're feeding it to hogs. And then we're eating that stuff too. So Ian's topic is probably number one on the list, is bugs can come in a lot of situations where you wouldn't think they would. So our push has been to educate as much as we can that if you want to sell into these premium markets, they are food markets. So you've got to treat your grain a little differently. You treat what you're doing a little differently. And the vast majority of producers are buying into it because they see the difference in the pricing. They see market opportunities. Today, if your oats happen to have gotten heated on you or you got them buggy and you can't do anything with it, and I can't buy them for milling, they're worth three bucks a bushel. They're worth six bucks if they're milling. It's a considerable difference, a considerable amount of money on the bottom line. And so we want to work together with farmers. We send people out in the summer to visit our contract holders, answer questions, check on anything they want checked on. 
because we want to help them learn and understand what we require better. And then we answer questions all the time. We get guys that your load of oats comes in and it's 14.5 moisture. It's not so tough that it's going to spoil. Why can't we use it? So, you know, we go through the process. Here's how we handle the grain once it comes in here. Here's why it needs to be our spec. And I think more and more buyers are doing that with the milling product. And I hope they would, if you asked, is explain the reasoning behind it. It makes getting farmers to meet those specs a lot easier if they understand why they have to meet those specs. We've really had a good push on to help educate, and we're going to continue to do so. Yeah, I think those are good points. It's definitely for the guys that are coming from a conventional background, and it hasn't been that long. It's such a stark difference, it seems like, from delivering a load that's a little tougher. You don't meet your protein spec to the elevator, and you get a few dollar a ton or $20 a ton maybe discount if you got a few things going on, but nowhere near the penalty you pay if you don't meet the spec, and either you got something that ends up going to a feed market or can't be blended off the way that we're used to because of the volume differences. Yeah, well, it, on quality, I think it's a really important that, you know, in the past I've seen farms, you drive by their farm and their bins are open and there's birds, there's animals, so their sanitation is just not up to the standard required. In the organic marketplace, I think it's really, really important. Birds and rodents and animals are a big problem on most prairie farms, so having good quality bins and keeping them closed, they do get mucked up. you got to basically go in and wash them and steam clean them if, if you're going to have a big problem because... You're dealing with food-grade products. In some cases, like hemp, it's a raw product, so there's no way it can have fecal contamination or rodent droppings or dead animals in it. So you've got to pay attention to those little details. We run a small cleaning plant on the farm. We don't do a lot of cleaning, but one of the big nightmares I have is just how do I keep rodents out of the system so that they don't get into the clean grain stream? If you're going to do those on-farm cleaning jobs and send it off to a customer, you better make sure that it's very clean and you've taken those extra steps to make sure that it's not contaminated. Uh, I mean, accidents are going to happen, mistakes are going to happen, but if you go a long ways to preventing these type of problems, it will pay off in the long run. Maintaining quality after harvest is key to successful marketing, to pleasing customers, and to gaining top dollar for top quality. Visit pivotandgrow.com and read our fact sheet from harvest to sale, maintaining food quality in storage. You can find it in our library of production resources. Well, I think that's uh, that's all I've got for you guys. So uh, thanks for, for joining us and sharing your thoughts. To sum it up, it sounds to me like uh, having a good relationship with your processor or your buyer sounds like one of the best ways to ensure that you're going to grow something that they're after and maintain that quality and get them the help along the way that a lot of us need. Check out the Pivot website at www.pivotandgrow.com. It has tons of resources to help you through each step of your farming journey, from transition to production, marketing, and research. You can also follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Pivot and Grow or join in the conversation using the hashtag Pivot and Grow.